You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from the 25th of October. And on the programme today, we were live from the Aldar Experts event at the Coca-Cola Arena, along with 2,000 real estate brokers. They were all here to learn, and we found out more about what they were learning with the CEO of Aldar Development, Jonathan Amory. Plus, we also got into some of the biggest news headlines, including just how much the climate crisis is costing us every day. We also found out about the good news story that scientists might have found a possible cure for dengue fever. Meanwhile, we also looked into worrying figures from Dubai police on e-scooter safety. It emerges that five people have been killed and more than 29 injured over the past eight months right here in Dubai. So we discussed safety with Diana Gardi from Dubai Police and we got analysis from road safety campaigner Thomas Edelman. Meanwhile, hiking season has just started in the UAE, but there is a set of rules that you need to follow to stay safe. We got the details from Amar Zain, who is the Managing Director of Fajira Adventures. Plus, Chris McCarty brought us up to date with all the latest sporting headlines, including all the latest from the Cricket World Cup. From Coca-Cola Arena. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at Aldar Experts. Hello, neighbour. Aldar is coming to Dubai. Hello there. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. Uh, And as you can probably hear in the background, we have left our normal habitat in our studio in Knowledge Village. And instead, we are live right now from the Aldar Experts event at the Coca-Cola Arena. They have just opened the doors here and the real estate brokers who are attending this event are flooding into the main sort of flower space. Uh, I have to say, it's a pretty impressive event. It was uh, all launched back in 2021 and the aim was to to support the development of the real estate sector here in the UAE. But this is actually the first time this Abu Dhabi company is actually hosting it here in Dubai. And there is a very good reason for that, which we're going to find out in the next few minutes. Uh, luckily, I have been joined by the man with the plan. It is Jonathan Emery. He is the CEO of Aldar Development. And he's joined us here in our, I mean, I think it's the premier suite, Jonathan. I've, I've, I've I've never been up this high or, or this posh. It's brilliant. Nor have oh. I. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's very luxurious, isn't it? It's very I thought luxurious. it was normal for you. Goodness, no. Someone just bought me a coffee. That never happens. Very exciting indeed. Okay, this event is uh, its pretty smashing. I've never seen anything like it, to be honest. When I arrived, I sort of was on the shop floor and uh, it was all peaceful. People were rehearsing and, and it blew me away with just the sheer size and the scale of the thing. So for people listening who don't work in real estate, they don't know what Aldar Experts is. Can you sort of talk me through what it is and why you created it? Yeah, absolutely. It is amazing when you're standing here and all these agents, uh, brokers, and I think um, you know, it, it, it's a physical representation of, of the importance of real estate to the UAE. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's an amazing part of the economy. Aldar um, Experts, as you uh, previewed, was set up really to, you know, to give back, to support uh, the real estate industry. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, people out there uh, in it, and, and we just want to be able to provide them with things that might help them on their way, and obviously in doing so, you know, help us as well, and and all, all the other developers here. So we've we've uh, been running this program, which is primarily about based around bringing uh, global experts on uh, you know self help and um, you know and, and business strategies and social media, uh, so that we can all take something away to improve ourselves and our and our company's performance. 
So what have the guys and girls got to look forward to today? Uh, well, uh, they're going to hear from, uh, from, from me and my Aldar colleagues well, about... That, I mean, that's <laughs> top billing there. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, that's, the, that's the cost of coming. Um, and they can, that, that we seriously will be announcing some really exciting new projects and talking about the trends that we see in the industry. And then, and then uh, we'll be introducing the, the, you know, Jay and, and the speakers here, which are amazing. So. I mean, that is one of the things that really makes these events stand out because you, while you're teaching the real estate brokers, you know, it's a sort of combination between education and inspiration, isn't it? So Jay Shetty, incredibly impressive lifestyle guru, making headlines all the time. You've brought him in to talk to these 2,000 brokers. Yeah. I, and I can't wait myself, I'm right? Sorry, I can't wait. Am I on air when, they, when he's doing that? Maybe I can, you know, there's going to be a moment of silence where I'm just going to point the microphone to so, Jay. So uh, when you're on next time, we'll hear an improvement. Uh, oh my goodness, I'll be so like... Not that you need improving. Of course yeah. I need improving. <laughs> Everyone needs improving. Okay, tell me a little bit about why you're hosting this in Dubai for the first time. Because obviously Aldar, synonymous with Abu Dhabi, but we're in a different emirate now. We are. And it's taken us 18 years of crafting uh, our expertise in Abu Dhabi and doing what we do um, and finding the right partner here in Dubai and the right timing and location. And all those things came together at the beginning of this year with our partnership with Dubai Holdings. And uh, so here we are. We're so excited to bring something, I think, quite unique to the market. Um, we're hoping we're going to surprise people uh, positively um, with this sort of wellness approach that we've taken to community living for the first time at this scale. Okay, so tell me what it is, where it is, when I'm going to be able to live there, if I want to. Uh, it's Dubai land, so it's, you know, nestled between the sort of the villa and Arabian ranches uh, in that location. Uh, it's a, quite a large community, so we're over sort of two and a half thousand uh, homes in, in total. Um, it's a wellness focus, so everything uh, we've organised from the bottom up, whether it's uh, the, the villas and the apartments, how they've been uh, designed in terms of, you know, light penetration, size of window, uh, the quality of the air and the filtration of the air, the water. So mixing sort of sustainability and environmental, but also then taking it to a community level, you know, with uh, jogging parks, so the physical and the mental. We've engaged sort of neuroscientists on how, how spaces make people feel um, in, a, in, a, in a positive way, but also how it can detrimentally affect if, if things are too boring. So all of that is designed to, you know, to create a haven where you can, you know, come home to at the end of the day or whatever you've been doing and just like... Oh, those moments. Chill. That chill. moment of chill. I make myself a cup of tea. And that's when you get really productive as well, right? When the clarity comes. Goodness me. I mean, I'm intrigued with, with this focus on wellness. And it's, you know, you've clearly thought it through and you've brought lots of people in to, to think of the various different facets, both the mental and the physical. Is that because your focus groups told you that that, that is a touchstone for people now? And, and is it a post-COVID thing, do you think? I think certainly there is an element to, to post-COVID. I think, think people took uh, you know, their health a bit more seriously and also you know, their own mental well-being, you know, having spent some time deeply on your own. Um, we've been trialling it. Uh, so this, although we're bringing it here to Dubai on this level, we have been working on a project called The Source in Abu Dhabi where we brought wellness into Sadiac Grove and it, it went super well with our international customers and locally. Um, um, and, you know, like all things, it's not, you know, this isn't, you know, we're, we're taking things that have proven before and just putting it together on a different scale in a more creative way. Um, so wellness is one trend. The other trend we're, we're seeing is sort of experience, which I suppose are blended to a certain degree. But this is about moving from, the, you know, the amenity wars into creating service and experience. Amenity wars. I heard them talking about that on the business breakfast. Um, does that mean things like swimming pools and tennis courts? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's about being appropriate to what you're trying to achieve at a community level. So, you know, where, where you're looking at wellness, for instance, as a feature, paddle courts, uh, you know, uh, wellness pavilions, yoga pools, th- those sorts of things become appropriate. But just adding them on a tick list is something that I think is, uh, I don't know, that just feels like yesterday. So is this a villa-based community or are there going to be apartments? What size are the villas? Can you give us any more details yeah. or do we need to... Do I need to wait, like the rest <laughs> of the brokers in the room? There, there'll be more uh, information later, of course, but essentially it's three to four bedroom townhouses, th- uh, four to five, sorry, townhouses, three to six uh, size villas, so quite a, you know, quite big premium yeah. villas, and then also a, a good uh, good amount of apartments built in there as well. There'll be a school, there'll be uh, some health care. Um, oh, it's and massive. And some there. retail. Oh, it's a, you know, Aldar, you know, we work in lots of different spaces. We've got you know, schools. So we blend all of that in creating a sort of a complete uh, community lifestyle, in this case, focused on wellness. Yes, and Aldar doesn't do small. So it is going to be a, 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 big, a big development indeed. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about how you see the market at the moment. Because, of course, we're in a very exciting stage. It feels like Dubai is growing and growing. And we have had a lot of announcements for new developments recently. Do you think the appetite is still there? I do. Uh, we, do. <laughs> we do. We do. Because it looks like you do. <laughs> no, we do. I, I think we, you know, um, so we, we definitely believe in UAE uh, um, and Dubai. Um, you know, the fundamentals are very strong. Um, there, you know, we also believe in cycles as well. Um, you know, differentiated product, positioning yourself differently from the competition, I think, is our, uh, you know, is, is our key thrust here mm-hmm. in, in coming to, to the market with a breath of fresh air, a new product that's not been done before. We think that is a defensive strategy against any particular headwinds that we might see, but we're good on the market at the moment. So when these kids, and I, and I say kids because they look like kids to me, age 44, there's a group of very young 20-year-olds down there ready to, to sell your product, ready to get engaged. When the customer says to them, okay, so I'm interested, I'd like a four-bedroom, please, standalone villa uh, with my own pool, uh, when will it be ready? 27. 27? Yep. Oh, wow, that's soon. That soon. Exciting stuff. Well, I wish you the very best today because it's a serious event. How long before you're on stage? Uh, I reckon about 25 minutes. 25 minutes indeed. Well, Jonathan Amory, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for giving us a sneak peek here on the uh, on the agenda on Dubai I 103.8. You've just been listening to the voice of Jonathan Amory. He is the CEO of Aldar Development. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, right. Well, yes, if you've just tuned in, you are listening here to the agenda on Dubai I 103.8. We are live from Aldar Experts. We are live from the Coca-Cola Arena this morning. We are going to be here all morning discussing property trends and the growth of real estate in the region. So make sure you keep it locked on Dubai Eye 103.8. From Coca-Cola Arena. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at Aldar Experts. Hello, neighbour. Aldar is coming to Dubai. I did promise you, didn't I, that I'd explain why we are down at the Coca-Cola Arena today. Uh, yet the agenda live on the road for the Aldar Experts event, where the team here are basically working on upskilling the broker community. Now, I'm in a box just above the main floor. Oh, it's all cleared out now. 
they must be going for a coffee break. Um, but there were 2,000 real estate brokers here. They're all learning about Aldar's first new development in Dubai. Normally, of course, they're an Abu Dhabi development company. And they are looking forward to a keynote speech by none other than the lifestyle guru, Jay Shetty. It's, it's just quiet and down, but maybe it's lunch. It's midday, isn't it? So maybe they're stopping for lunch. Uh, but it's all going to kick off again in a few hours. Now, we haven't just been talking about real estate and residential trends. Uh, we have been looking at major international news stories as well. One in particular caught my eye, in particular considering we've got the upcoming COP28 summit due to take place in just ooh, one short month, actually, a few kilometers from here at Expo City Dubai, because it turns out the climate crisis has a price. And it's $391 million a day, or at least the damages from the extreme weather events are racking up costs amounting to that number. And that's just over the past two decades. If you add it all up, you get costs averaging over $143 billion per year from 2000 until 2019. I mean, they're they're frankly stratospheric numbers it's quite hard to get your head around them um, and I'm intrigued to know how the economists actually came up with those numbers uh, but luckily earlier today we found out we spoke to Professor Ilan Noy he is the inaugural chair at the Economics of Disasters at the Victoria University of Wellington in New Zealand and he started by basically telling me how he came up with this number. What we've done basically is look at the changing uh, probability of these extreme weather events. So for example, take a, a heat wave um, that hit, say, South Asia in, um, in, in, uh, in the, during the, the hot season uh, earlier this year. Um, that those heat waves are becoming both more intense and more frequent than, than they were before. And that is because of climate change, because of the, all the greenhouse gases that we've emitted into the atmosphere in the past um, century. So, so when you're looking we, at these sort of peak weather events you know these extreme weather events how do you then turn that into a number what sort of elements do you look at yeah so so we we basically look at three things um the first thing is what is the climate scientists calculate what is the change in the probability of that event occurring okay so when for example we say 30% of the probability of that event occurring is because of climate change and 70% is anyway, you know, we've had extreme weather events always, even before climate change, we've produced this climate, climatic change. Um, So that's the first component that that's the estimation that the climate scientists are doing. The second uh, piece of information is the mortality that those events are causing. And here, because we want to cal- calculate a dollar value, we are attaching a dollar value to a life lost, which is standard practice among governments. Um, we are using, and we discuss in the paper what the number we are using, what's the justification for that number. And then the third piece of information is the all the asset losses that are associated with that disaster. So think of a, of a typhoon, for example. That typhoon destroys bridges, destroys roads, destroys houses, destroys factories, and, and so forth. And we have a number that calculates the value of those things. So those three pieces of information, the changing probability, the mortality, and the, um, the asset damages are the, the, the three inputs we need in order to do our calculation. 
can you talk me through how the how sort of economists how governments value a human life because I know it's standard practice but I think for for our listeners it, it might and it's certainly to me it's it's sort of quite a new concept and, and I'm you know I'm not sort of going to get into the the rights or the wrongs of that because obviously from an economics point of view you need to be able to do it is it based on things like average earning over their lifetime or something like that no um so first of all we need to do this right because um and and so we are all squeamish about about putting a price tag on, on a life right so economists are not any more heartless um, are not more heartless <laughs> than others and we are equally squeamish about it uh, the problem is that we need to do that for policy a lot of our policies are aimed at reducing mortality so for example paving better roads investing in paving better uh, roading system or improving a bridge structure or whatever it is and we do that because we know that will decrease mortality on that road or on that bridge but at some point we need to say okay enough of investing in that bridge because we can't afford to we have a limited amount of uh, resources so the question is what is that threshold so say if i told you that you can spend a hundred million dollar on a road and save one life i think most most people mm -hmm. would agree okay that's that's a bit too much because with that hundred million we could do a lot of other things that are very good right uh, on the other hand if i told you spend ten dollars on that road and um you can save a life then that clearly is something that everyone would support so the question is where is that threshold now how do economists um calculate that there is a whole literature on that but the the, the there are two standard ways to do it. One is to ask people. So to ask to, to, to do large scale surveys and ask people how much would you be willing to pay for redu reduction in the risk you're facing from example from road fatality or from other um, dangers. The other method is to look at the wages that people receive in various professions and to identify professions that are quite similar but have a different risk to life. And then we can typically professions that are have higher risk also have higher wages associated with them. So imagine two two jobs <clears throat> which are identical in all respects, but there is a there is a difference in the in the risk to life. Typically, that job that has a risk to uh, an additional risk to life will uh, have a higher pay associated with this because people, in order for people to take that job and not the other one, they would want that compensation. So then we look at the difference in the compensation between the two jobs. And we can, from that, we can tease out what implicitly people are valuing their life at. So, so that's, got the, about, that's the, the way I, we do it. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt you. We've got about 30 seconds left with you. And, and I suppose sure. that sort of over... No, 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 no. It, it's, it's the limits of the radio show. Um, we, we could always talk yeah. to all our guests for, for hours. You're always uh, far too interesting for us. Um, so tell me, why is it important to come up with these types of numbers? You know, that number we just, we just said at the, at the top of the program, $391 million per day uh, caused by these extreme weather events over the past two decades. Why is it important to put a number on it? So, as you mentioned, you're going to have the COP, the, the, the meeting, um, in a month's time in, in uh, Dubai. Uh, that meeting will involve discussions of a, of a loss and damage fund. So, that, dam that fund is supposed to compensate countries, uh, or at least assist countries that are experiencing these extreme weather events. And that, that calculation then allows us to calculate how much money those countries should actually be receiving. So, for example, say Bangladesh is experiencing a big... Um, um, a tropical cyclone and incurs the damage of, say, a um, billion dollars, 
and we calculate that about half of that is because of climate change, then Bangladesh is entitled for half a billion dollars of, um, res of, of, of compensation from the loss and damage fund. So if we have that ability to, to do that process, then we can we get a we get much accurate assess assessments of how much money do we need in that loss and damage fund that the representatives, the, the global representatives are going to negotiate in Dubai in a month's time. Professor Ilan Noy there, the inaugural chair in the economics of disasters at the Victoria University of Wellington. Very interesting indeed to find out how he has valued or how he has put a price, I suppose, on extreme weather events caused by climate change. From Coca-Cola Arena. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at Aldar Experts. Hello, neighbour. Aldar is coming to Dubai. Hello there. Yep, we are live from the Coca-Cola Arena. There's nothing like an outside broadcast uh, to uh, to sort of enliven the programme. And there's certainly a lot going on behind me right here at the Coca-Cola Arena. I have got two thousand real estate brokers behind me uh, they're here for the aldar experts event uh, and the whole idea is that they get a bit of an upskill a bit of a sort of education a bit of inspiration uh, and we've got uh, we've got all eyes on stage for a little bit later on when lifestyle guru jay shetty is due to make an appearance uh, let's just take a quick look at one of the top international stories making headlines this week because there is finally hope for the hundreds of thousands of people around the world who suffer from dengue fever because a new treatment that could help the spread of the disease has shown very positive results in early testing on humans. And that is just weeks after a new vaccine was given the approval of the World Health Organization. But just how significant could these developments be? Well, last night, producer Jennifer Crichton sat down with Sophie Jakob. She is head of the Dengue Group at Oxford University's Clinical Research Unit in Vietnam. And she began by explaining that the new treatment is being tested as a preventative measure initially. So prophylaxis is you take the drug before you are exposed. So we know that dengue cases cluster around households because the mosquitoes don't fly very far. So if there is somebody in your house or neighborhood that has dengue, you are at risk. So those are the people that are being targeted for the prophylaxis. So if you're one of your household contacts has dengue for less than a couple of days, you're eligible for this particular trial where you then take the drug to see if it can prevent you from developing uh, infection or, or attenuate your symptoms. And you take that for a month around the time of potential exposure. And then treatment is different because you, you've already developed symptoms. And because of how the virus in humans behave, we know that you've only got a, a fairly short window to impact the viral load in your body after you develop symptoms. So they would target the first two days you've had symptoms because after that, your body's clearing the virus already. So I think, you know, when we talk about mosquito-borne illness, a lot of people immediately think of malaria and may not be as familiar with dengue. What exactly is dengue? What does it do to your body? And is it something that is curable at this point? Yeah, so dengue is a virus and it's transmitted by Aedes mosquitoes. And these are the black and white mosquitoes that you might see around your house. They're day biting mosquitoes, so slightly different to the malaria mosquitoes that tend to bite at night. So 
Why is that important? It's because how, how you protect yourself against mosquito bites is slightly different. Like sleeping under a bed net is effective for malaria. But for dengue, it, they're most sort of active in the early morning or, or dusk time. So you would have to prevent being bitten around that time. So it's a viral illness that is self-limiting. So people will clear the virus themselves. It usually takes a week. And the vast majority will be fine. So you have a fever and headache and feel achy and, and pain behind your eyes and headaches. The vast majority will have those symptoms and then they will resolve after a week. However, similar to what we've seen in COVID, there's a minority of patients that will go on to get more severe manifestations. And that can include a low blood pressure, bleeding and organ impairment. And those are the patients that would need sort of supportive care in, in the hospital and the most severe go to intensive care unit and get fluid therapy while their blood pressure is low. So treatments like the one that is being trialed right now, whether as a prophylaxis or as a treatment, how impactful could it be to have access to those when, as you say, it's a disease that often spreads in, in sort of households and small communities? Yeah, so the burden of dengue in, in many cities around the world, especially where I live in, in Ho Chi Minh City, um, when the, especially during the rainy season, when the, when the mosquito population uh, expands, can be absolutely overwhelming for health systems because of the sheer number of patients that are being seen in outpatients. And even though a minority get admitted, that can still mean, for example, in our hospital, that can be over 10,000 admissions just in six months of the rainy season. So it, it can really crash health systems because of the sheer number of patients being admitted and, and seen. So to have a prophylaxis that would prevent either infection or reduced symptoms could really impact, especially in the high endemic settings, but also in areas where it's newly emerging and, and with climate change, the, the vector is being established in, in new areas and it's sort of pushing up north in Europe. It's in southern states of America. So in those cases, you could also, if there is an outbreak, you could prophylax especially high-risk communities or travellers. So I think it would be extremely useful because currently we only have two vaccines that are not ideal because you, you really have to have had one dengue infection before getting the vaccine. We, we really need antivirals as well. And you mentioned high endemic countries there. You also mentioned previously about the fact that we're seeing it pop up in new territories perhaps because of global warming and changes to climates. How concerned should the world be about the fact that we are seeing illnesses like dengue appearing in, in new areas where we wouldn't have expected them? Yeah, I think we should be concerned. It's not only dengue or mosquito-borne diseases. There are other what we call climate-sensitive diseases that could be not for mosquitoes or ticks or or other insects. Um, but there's also climate can change other like waterborne diseases as well. So there will be increasing risk as the climate warms and changes and vector species are able to live and breed in different places. So we have to really start thinking about how to prevent 
these diseases, but also for those sort of like health communities in, in those areas where these diseases are emerging, the medical personnel need to be trained to be aware that, that these diseases may take off. Sophie Jacob there, head of the Dengue Group at Oxford University's Clinical Research Unit in Vietnam, speaking to producer Jennifer Crichton. From Coca-Cola Arena. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at Aldar Experts. Hello, neighbour. Aldar is coming to Dubai. Hello there. Yes, welcome back to the programme. And as you've just heard, we are live at the Coca-Cola Arena. Uh, we're here at the Aldar Experts event. We're going to be here all morning. There's a bit of a sort of theme to the programme as a consequence. We're discussing property trends, the growth of real estate, uh, not just here in Dubai, but of course the wider UAE. But we're also taking a look at the sort of serious stories that are making headlines today. And for the next uh, 15 minutes or so, that is indeed going to be our focus. Because overnight, uh, we heard heard that five e-scoot and e-bike riders were killed and 29 injured in accidents in Dubai in the first eight months of the, this year. Uh, serious numbers there and it is leading to calls for safer driving from Dubai police. In fact, I'm delighted to say I'm joined now by Diana Gardi, who works in security awareness, safety awareness at Dubai police. Diana, good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining me on Microsoft uh, Teams. How are you? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well. How are you? Very well indeed. And we really appreciate you joining us on the line. Can I ask you, you know, who is actually responsible for the safety of these scooter and e-bike users on the roads? Is it the motorists? Is it the users themselves? Or when it comes down to it, is it both? Uh, to be honest with you, I would say it's most probably both. So the users are responsible for their safety, but us as Dubai police, as a force, we are also responsible to, let's say, raise awareness and spread education amongst these users on how to be safe using the e-scooters. Now, I know that you have launched a campaign to try to improve safety rates. You know, what are the most frequently observed misbehaviors regarding scooter use? So yes, from the traffic department at Dubai Police, we have a new campaign called Traffic Safety for Electric Scooter Users. And to answer your question, the most, let's say, the most dangerous uh, things that we've seen on the road lately is first off, not wearing a helmet and a reflective vest. So this actually is a big issue because uh, I would like to emphasize that wearing a helmet can actually reduce your, uh, let's say, death rate by 70% because you're protecting your head, of course. And at the same time, wearing a reflective vest can be much uh, more helpful for drivers at night to see you. So basically for cars to spot you. And secondly, I would like to emphasize the fact that many scooter users are driving against traffic. So in the wrong direction of the road, this is one of the biggest concerns that we have. In addition to that, we also want to emphasize the fact that for each scooter, there should only be one person using the scooter. But we do notice that some people have a passenger stand behind them. Again, this is very dangerous. And also we want to emphasize the fact that there are many scooter lanes which are available, but we still see lots of people using the wrong roads, or let's say roads that are above 60 kilometers per hour, which is actually not allowed. And finally, I would like to mention that when crossing the road, we would like to encourage users to get off the scooter and cross safely and then get back on the scooter. If you can hear music in the background, Diana, I do apologise. We're actually live on location at the moment at the Coca-Cola and Arena and, and, and the music in the background sort of ebbs and flows slightly. So I hope uh, you're, you're, no, you, you can still hear me because your messaging is coming through. No, no, you're it's actually very, very clear. 
We're very clear. Oh, that's good. It's very important. Um, That's good news. That is good news. I have to say, actually, I live near Kite Beach here in Dubai. And over the last few days, uh, the last few weekends, in fact, I've seen police, many police, actually, around the bike track there, around the e-scooter track, keeping an eye on riders and and reminding them that they need to wear helmets and these sort of safety uh, devices. Um, Tell me, uh, you know, when you when you are issuing tickets, when the Dubai police are sort of uh, punishing people effectively for not obeying the rules, what kind of punishments are they getting? You know, what are the most important violations? So, again, as I mentioned, some of the bigger violations that we have, I feel like it's uh, slightly repeating the information that I mentioned. But again, uh, we're not only there to issue fines, but I'm actually very glad that you did see these officers patrolling the area. So they're actually there not only to issue fines, but more so to raise awareness and education amongst the users. So this is actually from our traffic department. It's a small initiative that's part of our campaign where we send out officers to the field or we send them to places that are most commonly used by scooter users. And we encourage people, you know, we ask them about the scooter. What do you know about the scooter? How can we, let's say, educate you further? So you can say this is more of an educational campaign rather than one where we try to issue tickets and scare people. So we want to give you that education and that awareness that we're here to help you and support you. When it comes to, I mean, one of the major elements of being safe on one of these e-scooters or, or e-bikes is obviously obeying the yeah. rules. But but the other element is is the equipment themselves, uh, you know, making sure that your equipment is, is safe, that it hasn't been modified to go faster. Is that something that Dubai police are looking at as well? Uh, you can say we're looking mostly not necessarily to the modification of the vehicles that they use, but we're looking for the basic minimum safety standards, which is basically wearing the safety equipment, such as the helmet, plus the reflective vest. In addition to that, we want to make sure that all of the scooters that they're using are equipped with the appropriate lighting at both the front and the back. So, you know, to to signify when they're pressing the brake. And it's also very imperative to us that the vehicles that they are using uh, using have uh, functional brakes. So we emphasize more on this, more on the safety of the scooter itself and whether it's in a good, uh, you can say, whether the user himself or herself know how to use the scooter appropriately. And I understand that you'll probably be working with other stakeholders in these efforts. But, you know, what is the role of of Dubai police in, in this safety campaign? So Dubai police, as we mentioned, Again, I don't want to emphasize the fact that we're only here to give people fines. We're not here to do that and just to scare people. Our main role in all of this, as actually mentioned by Major General Saif al-Mazroui, the head of the traffic department at Dubai Police, that our biggest aim is to instill awareness and education amongst the people. So again, amongst all of the scooter users, from the youth to the other users who, let's say, use scooters on a more daily basis. So again, this is all going along with our campaign, uh, let's say values, our campaign aim. It's more about the education and the awareness rather than, you know, giving fines or trying to scare people. We're trying to raise awareness to remind you how to be safe. Dubai, uh, thank you so much, Diana. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us here on the agenda to give us those details. Diana Gardi there, who works in security awareness at Dubai Police, speaking to us off the back of those new figures that have just emerged, uh, showing that uh, when it comes to e-scooters and e-bikes, five riders were killed and 29 injured in accidents in Dubai in the first eight months of this year. From Coca-Cola Arena, this is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at Aldar Experts. Hello, neighbour. Aldar is coming to Dubai.
Hello there and welcome back to the programme. You are listening to The Agenda here. We are live from the Coca-Cola Arena today. This led us out of our studio in Knowledge Village and we are live here from the Aldar Experts event. There's a very inspirational speaker on stage at the moment uh, encourage two, encouraging 2,000 real estate brokers on how they can sell better. Uh, some of her lines are really intriguing. Apparently we should be uh, telling each other, uh, telling ourselves in the mirror that we are strong, we're authentic and we're opinionated. I have to say, it, it's it's good stuff. It is indeed good stuff and we are going to be hearing from lifestyle guru Jay Shetty in the coming hours as well. But we're not just talking about real estate, we're not just talking about selling houses. We are discussing uh, very serious news stories uh, involving safety on e-scooters and e-bikes because Dubai police have just released figures showing that five riders were killed and 29 injured in accidents in just the first eight months of this year. Worth mentioning that during the same period, police have issued more than 10,000 fines to police to people who are disobeying those safety rules. And actually, I've seen uh, plenty of police on the track, on the beach track down uh, by Kite Beach, issuing fines and telling people uh, to put helmets on. So certainly the, the police out in force, encouraging people to obey the rules but clearly if you've got five deaths if you've got 29 serious injuries uh, more needs to be done i'm joined on the line now by thomas edelman he is the founder of road safety uae he's been a campaigner in this country for many many years thomas when it comes down to the responsibility of safety who does it you know who needs to be being careful here is it the cyclists is it the scooters or is it the other road users uh, good morning, first of all. I hope you're well. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a recurring question. So who, who is really in charge? I mean, typically, uh, the, the road user himself, herself, of course, is in charge. I mean, why? Because we just want to make sure that we are safe. We want to arrive wherever we are going uh, safely. But when you look at the, at the average user of uh, especially e-scooters, we see a lot of youngsters on those e-scooters. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't really have to break down in terms of social demographics uh, about the victims, but just based on personal observation, we do see a lot of, of youngsters, of young riders uh, on, on the e-scooters. Now, the question is, who is educating them? Who, who is telling them what to do, what not to do? Typically, the young rider does not wear a helmet. Typically, the young rider is even too young to ride an e-scooter. We have a law in place that mandates the minimum age to be 16 years. But who is talking to the youngsters? I mean, I live in the meadows, and it's, it's very, very um, common that I see youngsters on the e-scooters in the evenings without lights, going against the flow of the traffic, doing all kinds of things. And I scratch my head and I said, well, I mean, me as a parent, what would I do with my kid? So going back, I mean, yes, it is the responsibility of the road user, but who is engaging with the road user? Again, in the, in the context of young uh, road users, it is the parents, it is the schools. What are they doing? Are they doing enough uh, to educate and to, to protect the young road users in this specific context, the young um, e-scooter user? 
Yeah, I have to say, I have also experienced very, very dangerous riding by young e-scooter riders. They're not on the public ones, they're on personally owned ones. And one young lad basically played chicken with me. And I, I was just like, this isn't a game I'm playing. Like, I'm going to stop until you move out of my way. Um, but it is extraordinary how badly behaved they how badly behaved they can be. We've had a message here from Bassam who says um, scooter riders need to be educated on how to use the roads and how to make their rides safer. However, I think more important is the usage of mobile phones while driving and it's more the car drivers. I notice that every second car I pass by or I see on traffic lights are using their mobile phones. This is important and a major issue that we're facing here and should also be addressed because if the drivers are not paying attention to the road, e-scooters and other people's lives really are in danger. So at Bassam, they're really putting the emphasis on the on the car driver, on the motorist, rather than the e-scooter rider. Yeah, I mean, Ministry of Interior, they recently announced the 2022 uh, fatalities and distracted driving uh, remains the number one cause of death on our roads. About 25% of all uh, fatalities are going to the account of uh, motorists being distracted. But I, I think Again, yes, of course. I mean, it's a shared responsibility. It's other road users as well as us. So we always have to watch our back. So we also have to think for others around us. But I mean, when we're specifically talking about the segment of um, of e-mobility users, so e-scooters, e-bikes, bicycles, uh, uh, skateboards, and so on, I think this is really the, the topic of today. Then we really have to make the point that we need improvement um, um, uh, steps to be done in, within this very segment. Uh, and 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 just just to carry on, I mean, for example, infrastructure. When you just look, what does the law say? And I have it in front of me on my screen here. So there's the Executive Council resolution of last year, of 2022. Point number four, it says here, do not ride an electric scooter owned by an individual and designated for personal use, except in the areas determined by the RTA. Now, the RTA initially um, ring-fenced 10 areas, then they added another 11 areas. So it's 21 areas in Dubai that are basically ring-fenced by RTA and declared, aha, uh -huh, these are determined areas by the RTA, you can use your e-scooters here, even the private ones. But where do we see the e-scooters? We see everywhere. them everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. And, and everywhere. But, but the, reason, the reason is, why do we see them everywhere? Because there is a need. Because we live or we choose to live in a country with a very hot climate. So very often, it is the only choice for people to go from point A to point B when it comes to micromobility. So, but how do we tackle that? On the one hand, we have the law here that says, hey, you're not allowed to use the e-scooter outside of these uh, 21 areas, but we see the message just said, Georgia, everywhere. So what do we do? Hey, we have to look again at the law. Do we have the right rules in place? Do we have the right law in place? Do we have the right infrastructure in place? Because the law also says we can only use our e-scooters on dedicated uh, bicycle lanes and e-scooter lanes. And, you know, yeah, maybe also in residential areas, but it's not even defined anywhere. So I think the first thing that we need is a really a clear set of rules and regulations, not only for Dubai, not only for Abu Dhabi, but really on a federal level that there's no misunderstanding. So this is also something, in our opinion, that needs to be tackled very, very quickly. And the authorities are super quick normally. So they are super quick. They are facing the issues. And we just had the gentleman from police. So they are doing a lot of initiatives. 
initiatives, but why do we still not have the proper legal framework in place that labels what you can really do and not? Thomas Edelman, fantastic to get your analysis on this situation and your oversight. Obviously, the founder of Road Safety UAE there. He's uh, worked in this region as a campaigner, as a road safety campaigner for, oh my goodness, I mean, it must be more than a decade now. So, Thomas Edelman, thank you very much indeed for your time. We really appreciate it. From Coca-Cola Arena. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at Aldar Experts. Hello, neighbour. Aldar is coming to Dubai. Hello there, welcome back to the programme. Yes, as you just heard, we are live from Aldar Experts at the Coca-Cola Arena. We'll have more on that in the coming minutes, but let's turn our attention now to a local story because I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems we have finally made our way out of summer and that means hiking season is kicking off once again. But there are new rules to follow this year to make sure that you stay safe. Joining us now to give us the details is Amar Zain. He is the Managing Director of Fajera adventures. Amma, thank you so much for joining us on the line. Tell me, what is the sort of main problem that you face in the outdoor community when it comes to hiking? Hello, thank you so much for having me. Um, well, it's not a problem. It's more of a list of knowing exactly what you guys going into when you guys hike, yeah? So basically, uh, uh, the environment in, in the United Arab Emirates and in Fujairah is totally different from other locations, obviously. So for this year, what we did is we worked on enhancing the the experience for all hikers all over the Emirates. Um, the biggest problem that we face is that people don't really know what they're getting themselves into. Sometimes they just decide the day before and they say, all right, let's gather ourselves up tomorrow morning and let's head towards Fujairah and let's start hiking in the mountains. That's beautiful. We're very happy. However, they don't do enough research. Yeah, so for example, maybe... In, in one second, the whole weather can change. As, as like what we heard today, we might have heavy rains for the next two to three days. That could cause a problem. And the changing temperatures, you know, like it's in this month of October, the temperature is fluctuating. So for example, you might have really good cool days, but the other days might be very hot. So this is one of the biggest problems is preparation. People don't prepare themselves properly before heading towards the mountains and then this creates some kind of like a challenge for us because we, you might get lost, you might get yourself injured, or you might even not enjoy the hike as you wanted to. Have you also seen amateurs getting involved on leading hikes? I understand that's actually started to be a bit of a problem. Yeah, well, see, the, 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 the rules and regulations, the new ones in Fujera right now, is basically it's for both, for individuals and companies tour operators the tour operators must have a valid trade license and it doesn't matter where from it can be from any other emirate they need to have insurance they need to have a proper training we accept uh, certified training courses from all over the world and very shortly in a couple of station from the uia the international climbing and mountaineering uh, council uh, uh, we are going to offer specialized courses in leading people into the mountains because you know it's 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 not a dangerous sport, but it can be. So these companies have to abide the rules. They cannot, um, they cannot just lead people into the mountains and charge them without having uh, 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 an approval from Fujera Adventures as, as a regulator. Fujera Adventures is a government regulator for all the outdoor and adventure uh, sports and tourism in the Emirate of Fujera. When it comes to individuals, we put very simple rules. 
please don't hike alone. You don't need to walk in the mountains alone. I know you want to have your own time, enjoy your time, and you cannot be a group with over than 10 people. This is because this is after the environmental impact studies that we've done on the trails. Uh, we want to keep our trails uh, as natural and as sustainable as possible, you know, and we want people to try to enjoy it. We want others to enjoy the experience because you're not alone on the trail. We want you to have fun and enjoy without ha without having hundreds of people on the, sa on the same trail at the same time. But you've done plenty of work, haven't you, over the last uh, few months on developing more trails, haven't you? There's plenty out there to enjoy. Absolutely. So what we've done, we worked on developing the infrastructure. So we started with the trails. Uh, we have 10 next week. It's going to be 11 certified trails. Please follow us on, on social media to understand and know what these, what, what these trails are. We put signages on them about the rules and what you should do and you shouldn't do, how to respect the local environment, how to how to understand the culture more. And also we worked with, with, with many partners in case there is an emergency. We have risk assessment plans. We worked with the environment authorities as well to do an environment, environmental study. And believe, it, believe me, we, we, we've seen, we discovered once we did all these studies, those trails are rich in the flora and fauna. We've seen a lot of beautiful flowers, a lot of beautiful plants that we didn't know they existed on the trails. So I advise everybody to, to actually leave no trace. And this is the seven principles we work on in developing the infrastructure for the hiking adventure um, uh, uh, industry in the Emirate of Fujairah. Amar, always lovely to have you join us on the agenda. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Amar Zain there, the Managing Director of Fajera Adventures. From Coca-Cola Arena. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live at Aldar Experts. Hello, neighbour. Aldar is coming to Dubai. I did promise you. Hello from the agenda, it's Georgia here. I did promise you that I would explain uh, why you can hear lots of noise in the background and why I'm surrounded by 2,000, 2,000 real estate brokers. It is because we are live from Aldar Experts at the Coca-Cola Arena. We're going to be here all morning. We're discussing property trends and the growth of real estate in the region. Um, if you're wondering where I am, I'm going to give you a bit of a sort of visual image. I'm in a box, the premier suite, no less, above the main floor of the arena. Um, yeah, and we're going to be hearing and learning a lot more about real estate, how to sell homes, how to sell houses. And we're also going to be hearing from Jay Shetty, the lifestyle guru, a little bit later on today. It's a big event and it's all being organized here in Dubai because Aldar has announced uh, their first development in Dubai. They normally do these down in Abu Dhabi, but because they're going to build a really big residential uh, estate out by Arabian Ranches, out by Dubai World, um, they decided to host their event here today. But we're not just going to talk about real estate on the programme today. In fact, we are going to turn our attention right now to sport. Um, and I'm joined on the phone by our very own sports editor, Chris McCarty. Chris, I tell you something, there's a lot of hipsters here not wearing socks and you would fit right in. <laughs> Good morning to you, Georgia. Yeah, the one day that I do pop into the studio to see you and you're not <laughs> here loading it up with the realtors down at Coca-Cola, I mean, I just can't catch a break. I tell you something, uh, there's not just one... Dubai Eye presenter here, there's two. There's Tom Urquhart's down there somewhere as well. And every now and then he comes on stage and basically we compete for the airwaves. He's on the stage, I'm on the mic, and I think Tom wins. It's, it, it's a very unfortunate situation. The, the million dollar question though, Georgia, and I think I know the answer to this, is Tom wearing socks? Oh, no, no, of course he's wearing socks. I've never seen him without socks, actually. He's no, a very... He's Tom socks. likes to dress 
Tommy's very particular about his clothes, actually. He yeah. dresses very, yeah. very, yeah, yeah. He dresses well. He gets he's worried about rascal. the colour of shoes. Yeah, he's got some rascal socks. I've done. I, I've seen Tom uh, enough MC gigs around the year, or over the years, and around town to know that that man he needs to update his socks or. But that's a conversation for a different day. We're here to talk all things sport, of course. I'm trying to remember who I saw wearing unicorn socks recently. Was it you? Was it <laughs> Not you? Not me. Not okay, me. it wasn't you. I, I, okay. I only wear ankle socks. You know that, Georgia. <laughs> oh, that's true. You don't wear socks? socks. Maybe it was I Robbie. Was Robbie wearing socks. unicorn socks? Anyway, let's move off from socks. <laughs> you sound a little sleepy today, Chris. Is that because you were up all night watching football? I was up all night. Well, not all night, but I was uh, late to bed last night. And I wish I'd gone to bed at a usual time because watching Manchester United right now, it not only does it kind of wear you out, it kind of tires you out, it's, it's just dull, it's boring. Manchester United were victorious last night, far from convincing. A 1-0 win over FC Copenhagen. Harry Maguire in from the cold. He was the hero of the hour. In fact, two men who have come in for an awful lot of abuse and an awful lot of criticism in the last few weeks. Andre Onana, the goalkeeper. Harry Maguire, the former skipper of Manchester United. It was he that scored will ultimately prove to be the winning goal but deep in stoppage time a penalty awarded to Copenhagen and Andre Onana the Cameroonian goalkeeper big money signing in the summer he stepped up he plunged to his left a big right hand to keep the ball out and Manchester United's Champions League campaign is finally up and running it's far from convincing though Georgia they are playing some turgid football but they're winning and whilst they do that the naysayers will be silenced until it all comes crashing down and they may just do that because this weekend Manchester United welcome Manchester City Manchester Derby at Old Trafford Let's get your thoughts on what's actually going on at Man U What are the problems do you think? Oh, where to start on this one? How long have you got, George? I know we've only got a couple of minutes, but <laughs> yeah. I think this trickles down. I think it's well documented. You know, the Glazer family, they put the club up for sale some 10, 11 months ago. And we are now at the point where they're only set to sell 25% stake in the club. They're a bit of a poison. They've taken out over a billion pounds in dividends and money that that football club has made to service debt and to give themselves a little profit from their acquisition of this football club over the last 13, 14 years. So they're at the heart of it. Recruitment hasn't been right. And looking at Eric Ten Hag, and certainly from my sources close to the football club, let's just say this, that I don't think all players are pulling in the right direction for Eric Ten Hag. So Man United right now are, are not in crisis. I think that would be a bit much. They're at least winning football matches. But all is not well. And ultimately, I'm not the most optimistic of Man United fans the rest of the season. OK, so... Bayern Munich not facing sort of those types of problems at all. No. Harry Kane just, you know, the team just can't stop scoring. Harry Kane has been a wonderful signing. As we all knew he would be going into the dominant team of German football, you'd always expect him to hit the ground running. And he's done just that. Another goal assist as well for the England captain last night. A 3-1 win for Bayern over in Istanbul. Uh, they defeated Galatasaray. Harry Kane can do no wrong. It's 11 goals in 12 since his big money move from Tottenham in Bayern trending in the right direction. They've won three from three in Group A of the UEFA Champions League. They will finish as group winners. It's just a case of who will finish second. But yes, Harry Kane enjoying his time thus far in Germany and Bayern Munich will ultimately have a big say on this Champions League this season. With Thomas Tuchel, a man who's won it, of course, Chelsea took PSG to a final as well. They've got a manager who's been over the course and I think Bayern may just go, if Harry Kane stays fit, Bayern may just go close to winning this UEFA Champions League this season. 
Okay, 30 seconds, my love. Cricket, uh, World Cup, big win for South Africa yesterday. Yeah, fantastic. They trounced Bangladesh by 149 runs down in Mumbai. Quinton de Kock, the hero of the hour, a stunning 174. That's his third century of this World Cup, the highest score of the tournament so far as well. And yet, South Africa on their day, I think, proving that they may well emerge as the real team to give India a fright in this Cricket World Cup. As for the action today, uh, looking forward to it, it's Australia taking on the Netherlands. Of course, the Netherlands upsetting South Africa a week or so back. The Aussies will be looking to avoid that one. That is match 24 of this Cricket World Cup, and it's off at 12.30. Chris McCarty, thank you very much. As always, pleasure to have you on our airwaves. And there is more, of course, from Chris from 5pm this afternoon on your Drive Time show off script. The agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm.